Welcome to the Notes to My Legal Self, AI Insights, where law and AI collide. Get ready to level up your legal game with us. We've got career advice, cutting-edge developments, mind-blowing legal tech, and more. Know someone making waves in the legal AI world? Nominate them, or even nominate yourself. We love courageous souls. And don't forget, we want to hear from you, too. Ask questions, drop comments. Let's build a community of legal superheroes. But here's the deal. We're all about to have a blast. AI may be serious, but we're here to make it fun. So buckle up, get ready to power up, and let's embark on this exciting journey together. Now, let's introduce your fearless host, Olga Mack. Get ready to dive into the awesomeness of Notes to My Legal Self, AI Insights. Let's go. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to have the conversation we have today. We're going to focus on AI audits, what they are, how do you do them, what are the best practices, and all kinds of other things. Really important conversation, increasingly going to be part of our lives as we practice law, uh, as AI proliferates throughout society and our lives and our legal practice. So important conversation. I have a fantastic guest with me who is very knowledgeable on the subject. Jay, welcome to Notes to My Legal Self, AI edition. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Please introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Olga. I'm very excited to be here. So my name is Jay, and I'm an associate at a boutique law firm based out of DC called bnh.ai. Our firm specializes in AI and data analytics, and I have a hybrid role where most of my work is split between traditional legal work, like advising companies on model audits and bias in AI, as well as technical work, such as developing custom software solutions to automate AI governance. Love it. Thank you for that introduction. Before you got where you are, I like to situate the audience and your experiences so they understand where you come from and your perspective a little bit better than where you just where you are today. We are shaped by the experiences we have. How did you get to where you are today? What else have you done in law? And how does one wake up in the morning and and start advising about AI? <laughs> that's that's a great question. I have somewhat of a unconventional or at least untraditional background. So I started out my legal career in Toronto as a corporate and commercial lawyer focused in tech transactions, but I was always very passionate about tech and I was always very into computer science coding. So I actually took a uh, pause from my career at one point to go back to school and do a degree in computer science and math. And when I was doing my degree, I was very interested in AI classes, machine learning, so that I knew that when I was finishing my degree, I wanted to combine my legal skills, my interest in law with my interest in AI. And that brought me to this kind of very niche place where I can work with AI systems, both on the technical side and on the legal side in advising clients. That's cool. That makes sense. You just get up in the morning and go get a math degree. It happens to everyone. <laughs> really cool. I love it. That's a great story. Let's talk about AI audits. What are they? And I just situate everyone in the same term. What is this and, and how do you eat it? <laughs> so the term, it's a broad term and it could mean many different things depending on the jurisdiction and the context. But at a high level, it's an assessment of an AI system to identify and measure risks and to ensure compliance with legal, regulatory, and sometimes ethical standards. Primary purpose is usually legal compliance. Companies want to make sure that laws that may apply to their company or their use case 
that your AI systems are in compliance with it, but there are also other purposes and it's a larger part. It's a large part of adopting responsible AI practices within your organization. You said it's an assessment of AI system. If you had to break down into components mm -hmm. and by the way, responsible AI system is why we somewhat understand what it means. Responsible AI system is a system that is responsible, right? Uh, using the somewhat circular definition. There is an intuitive sort of understanding, but it is also a term that is yet to be completely defined entirely. So let's maybe start with what is a responsible AI system? And two, what are the components of uh, making that evaluation um, that it actually leads up to that expectation? Of course, uh, that's a good question because responsible AI is a term we hear often and it's not, there's no consistent definition yet. One good place to look at is the NIST AI risk management framework. You may have heard, heard of this. NIST introduced this, what they call the AI RMF as a framework for adopting responsible AI. And at a high level, the framework is broken, can be broken into kind of four components, mapping risks, measuring risks, managing risks, and govern, which is an overlapping function for uh, governance processes, accountability, transparency within the organization. And so if you try to align and, and use that framework to understand AI audit, an AI audit is a very large part of that framework, and it especially relates to the first two components, map and measure. So a good AI audit would map risks and measure risk. Uh, a really good AI audit will, will go even further and will help you understand how you can manage those risks and also help you understand how you can improve your governance processes around AI. Gotcha. That's really helpful. And do you find that the NIST AI RMF framework, do you find that's the basis for most or many, or at least some regulators or legislators or uh, organization when they start thinking about uh, responsible AI, do you find that this is where they start or do they start in all kinds of places? I, I would say it's not probably multiple different places because the NIST AI RMF is pretty recent. And for a lot of companies that are working in regulated sectors, for instance, there's already legal standards that may apply to their AI systems either directly or indirectly. So for those companies, they will probably focus on those legal requirements in shaping their AI practices. Uh, but general advice for companies that may not have, that may not be in a regulated sector or may not have specific laws applying to their AI systems. As of now, the AI NIST, um, sorry, the NIST AI RMF is a great place to look, start with and look at because there's a good chance that future legislation in the US, whether it's federal or states, state laws, they will probably uh, be informed and influenced by the approach taken by the NIST AI RMF. So now that we're talking about laws, because the frameworks and laws are different things, and we now increasingly see this responsible AI defined and codified and requirements around it are being developed in laws. So what are the laws and what are the administrative sort of decisions and requirements that we see that require responsible AI and specifically that require AI audits? Right. So good point. The AI RMF, the framework is completely voluntary. There's no, it's not binding. It doesn't really have any regulatory teeth to it. So when we think of laws, on the other hand, I think 
the most obvious one that comes to mind and many people may be familiar with it because it was in the news very recently is the New York City Local Law 144. This law mandates bias audits, annual bias audits for certain AI systems used in the employment context. And it also requires that employers publish the results of these bias audits online. Um, however, there's a misconception, there seems to be a misconception that if a law doesn't specifically address AI systems are not affected by it. That's not true. There are already many laws that may directly or indirectly apply to AI systems. For example, there are federal anti-discrimination laws that apply in sectors like housing, finance, employment, and those could indirectly apply AI systems depending on the way you use it. And if, even if you don't have a law or if you're not in a regulated sector, you may be in the broad jurisdiction of the FTC. The FTC has spoken a lot about how it may come out, regulate activities, unfair or deceptive activities when it comes to the sale of AI systems. And there was one blog post recently where they popularly said, hold yourself accountable or be ready for the FTC to do it for you. Okay. Yes. FTC has a very broad mandate to protect consumers. And we definitely should expect action there as we did in privacy. I think that exactly will follow the privacy playbook. But let me hold that thought. I do want to talk about New York 144 because it is a special law in many ways and likely, as you mentioned, is going to be uh, an example for many other folks to follow. So in the context of audits, AI audits, what, what is this law and what specifically with respect to audits does it require? So the New York City law is a relatively narrow law. It applies to employers and employment agencies um, within New York City. And it applies to AI systems that fall within a arguably narrow definition of what they call automated employment decision tools. These are AI systems that have a substantial influence in the hiring decisions and promotion decisions within an organization. So if you, if all those boxes are checked, then you will have to do a bias audit of your AI system on an annual basis in order to continue using those systems in hiring and promotion. The AI, the New York city law is also pretty prescriptive. So it actually tells you which tests you should run It prescribes a traditional AIR four fifths rule type of test, and also a more novel test for certain, uh, scoring rate. Uh, it's called the scoring rate formula. It's for certain models that don't do classifications, but let's say score candidates or rank candidates. And then finally it has disclosure requirements about the fact that you are using an AI system in hiring and that you have to disclose this to candidates, um, as well as, of course, the publication requirement to publish your uh, a summary of the results of your bias audit on your website or on the job posting. So let's talk a little bit about what's, does it apply to all employers, first of all, who use it or to their threshold of how big you have to be when it applies? Off the top of my head, I think the main threshold is geographical. I don't think there is a threshold about how many employees you have. It's a, okay. like federal laws. Let's talk about the cost of compliance. Have you, have you seen your clients actively try to comply with it and kind of design what the test looks like and publishing the results and making sure that it is up to the par of what's required? And if so, how long does it normally take? What's involved? How costly it is? Is it, is it, does it, is it prohibited to say a smaller employer? Um, versus a larger, how, what, what's the impact of all that? 
Sure. If you're specifically talking about the New York City audits uh, compared to, let's say, more broader AI audits, it is a simpler procedure because, relatively simpler procedure, because the law is very prescriptive. It tells you exactly what tests to do, and that's essentially what you have to do. What we've seen in terms of clients, it's a broad mix. We've seen clients, of course, who want to proactively make sure that if they are captured under this law, they want to do their bias audits, they want to have the results ready and publish it by their enforcement day, which was August, July 5th, so last month. We've also seen companies, whether our clients or other companies, take the position that the New York City law, the way it's drafted, the AEDT definition, is very narrow. So while they may be using certain AI systems within their company, they have taken the position that it doesn't apply to those AI systems. And usually that position is reasonable because, like I said, arguably that definition is pretty narrow. Uh, for other companies, it's also been the wake-up call. They've never really thought about responsible AI seriously, and whether the New York City law applies or not, this has been the spark they needed to um, take broader measures and understand which AI systems they're using, what, what are the risks, and how they can measure these risks to, in order to be able to manage them. I actually want to come back to the point you made earlier uh, about that it, just because the law does not mention the word AI or some version of uh, AI doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to this type of technology. And I specifically want to situate people in that, look, laws tend to regulate be behaviors, essentially, as opposed to technology. And that's the point. The idea is that we do not change laws every time something new comes up because that will make it for a very hectic world that we agree to principles, and no matter what technology, defrauding people is going to be a problem. <laughs> For example, there are plenty of laws on the books to prevent, no matter technology, what you use. And so AI is sort of an example of that technology that likely falls into all kinds of broad spectrum of laws, especially when you talk about consumer-facing business. And as Jay mentioned, Anytime you have consumer, you will have FTC have an opinion. That's why FTC gradually got itself into privacy regulation because of the consumer protection. And that's why we have seen FTC as compared to other agencies, federal agencies in the United States, post a few blogs and basically positioning themselves as the regulator as it comes to consumer when it comes to AI. And that's why there's a lot of conversations around disclosures. So was that kind of positioning. Let me ask you this, Jay. What other laws do you think may or may not actually mention AI, but you think maybe require an audit similar to the audit or maybe different to an audit, or this is where they're trending, that New York 144 is, is require, actually overtly requiring? Of course, that's a really good question. I'll start with a, the point of view or the position of federal agencies. Very recently, I think a few months ago, there were four federal agencies that put out a joint statement. The Justice Department, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the EEOC, so the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and the FTC. And the statement was about exactly this, how there are many existing laws that may apply to AI systems, and all these agencies are very proactively taking 
uh, steps to enforce, to protect the, the public from bias in automated systems and AI. Keeping that in mind, I think sectors that are traditionally regulated, especially where there are federal anti-discrimination laws, so obviously employment, but also other areas like consumer finance, for instance, has a lot of potential for the need for model audits, depending on how models are work. So for instance, in employment, you have Title VII, you have UGAS. And if you're an employer that is subject to those laws and you're using an AI system that primarily drives your employment decisions, if your hiring decisions, your promotion decisions, or your decisions for uh, wages, whatever, are primarily dictated by the output of that model, then the legal requirements under UGAS and Title VII will indirectly apply to the model because you are relying on the model outputs to make your decisions. So you wanna make sure that the model outputs themselves are not biased. There's no disparate treatment, there's no disparate impact. And so in employment, for instance, you will start incorporating these precedents. Um, the EEOC commissioner wrote an article very recently or gave an interview, I think, to um, a publication in the last couple of days. And he makes this point that there's been laws in employment and federally since the 1960s that apply to this and will apply to AI systems. So you want to look at those precedents. You want to look at traditional statistical significance tests, practical significance testing standards to make sure that your model as a part of your overall hiring uh, process is not biased. So we started talking a little bit about what AI audit looks like. I want to go a little bit more in depth and talk about what are the sort of components of it and what are my choices? What's on the menu? So what am I choosing from? <laughs> and you may have noticed that I kept saying that the New York City law is relatively prescriptive. It gives you specific legal tests uh, that you need to do in order to comply with the New York City law. In a more general AI audit context, at least in my opinion, an effective audit is tailored to the needs of the organization and the specific context in which the AI system is being used. There is no really standard suite of specific tests that will be appropriate or helpful for all systems. You want to choose tests based on the system. So there's really at least two components that I would say as a baseline are involved in AI audits, and then ideally also a third step. The first step is you want to identify. So going back to a NIST framework, you want to map risks. So you want to identify risks that are specific to this AI system in this context that's being used in. And usually when we're talking about AI audits, the risks we're talking about are bias and fairness. So we want to ask, is the AI system biased towards certain demographic groups? Is it giving lower scores or worse classifications for certain people? But there are also other risks. So you may want to assess if the model is reliable and accurate. Let's say if it's an AI system used in a, a safety context. With generative AI models, for instance, recently, there's also been a lot of concern about issues related to privacy and intellectual property, for instance. You, want to, you, want, you may want to know, is the model unintentionally exposing private information that it may be learned during the training process or from users using the system once it was deployed? So that's the first step, that's identifying risks. Once you complete that step, the second step is measuring risks. And here, again, you want to design tests that are specific for this context and can appropriately measure the risks you've identified in the first step. If you are doing an audit for legal compliance, then usually this step will be informed by legal requirements. Like I said, in employment, you, will, you may look at disparate impact, for instance. And you will be looking at the kind of tests that have been established in that context. 
in insurance, for instance, which is usually state regulated, you may be more concerned about calibration with risk. So instead of looking at different outcomes in people, you may be looking at is the model calibrating its outcomes with a known risk level. So are similar people of similar risk being treated similarly? There's also a lot of recent technical developments in AI testing. So new novel methods of measuring certain risks in AI systems. And I think that's great. And it certainly has a place in AI audits, but I would consider that kind of an additional step after you've completed what is mi minimally required under established law. So that, that is really the real first two and like the minimum components of an AI audit. But I, ideally though, you may also want to go further in an AI audit with evaluating results and knowing how to manage these risks. Let's talk about the results and management of the risk. You ended on the juiciest part. How do you do that? Exactly. So if in an effective AI audit, you don't want to just stop after, okay, so this is, these are the risks. This is what I've measured. You want to use this opportunity to learn from the AI, AI audit and move on to steps three and four of the NIST framework, which is managing risks and um, governance. So you want to ask, is the model working as expected? Are the risks measured? Are they manageable? Are they acceptable? What is the liability of the system? If you look at both, let's say, the utility of the system and also the risk you've identified. It's really rare that an AI audit will come back and say the results are perfect and you have nothing to do. In a bias audit, for instance, there will almost always be room for improvement. Chances are the model is discriminating or performing more poorly for at least like one demographic group. And this could be for a number of reasons, and that's something you would have to investigate. Uh, it's specific to context and facts. For instance, one possible reason may be that the model wasn't trained on representative training data. So you may want to retrain the model, if possible, on a more representative training data. But this is not a step only for technical recommendations. It's not looking only at what, how can you technically improve the model. It's also a good time to evaluate the governance structures in place. To start with, do you have governance structures in place? So, Before we look, so governance is, is an art and science in and of itself. Let's actually define what it is for folks uh, who may or may not, may be unfamiliar or loosely familiar with that term. What does that mean? And then how do you actually apply it in the context of the AI audit? Sure. Uh, I like to think of it, think back to, let's say, privacy laws and privacy policies, procedures a company may have, because there's a lot to learn from there. Governance structures are internal structures you set up to maintain consistent policies and procedures around, let's say, the approval of AI systems, what data sets an AI system can be trained on, who is accountable if something goes wrong, what are the transparency requirements do you need to maintain in inventory of all the models that your company is using, do you need to do continuous testing? Do you need to monitor the model? All these elements of responsible AI throughout the life cycle of an AI model that you want to consistently establish, and that is something ideally an organization will want to do, that's set down as a governance structure through the, in the form of AI policies and procedures. I like the framework you've given. And hey, you need to figure out why you're doing the audit, what's the purpose of it, who you are, what's the problem you're trying to solve, what are the specific of your industry and clients, customers, whatever, and then decide what specifically you want to test and, and think through how. Let's talk about through audit, doing audits is a cottage industry, and you can invest a significant amount of resources, which resources you take away from revenue activities of your business. So there is an inherent opportunity cost for everyone. 
and both in terms of out-of-pocket expenses and attention and time and focus, which arguably more important depending on, on the kind of business you're running. And, and as a CEO, I very actively think through those things that I need to do versus nice to do versus where I spend my time bringing revenue and optimizing, maximizing outcomes for my shareholder, shareholders. So with all that in mind, let me ask you this, internal or external, how do you think, because audit could be something you do yourself, or it could be something that you hire others that of course will increase the price and frankly time. How do you make that decision in the context of the four prongs that you described, that I think that are based on NIST system, uh, NIST framework, how do you make decision about internal versus external audit? Thanks, Elga. Obviously, the cost associated with an AI audit, it can scale up from zero to as much as you want. You want to be cost cognizant, obviously, and it depends, again, on the risk of the system. I would generally say you want to take a risk-based approach. You don't have to audit every single AI system in a company with the caveat that, like, for instance, in some large organizations, there are AI systems used in many trivial ways. Maybe it's just a little editing tool that's being used internally to make sure documents are published that chances are it doesn't need to be audited. But for higher risk systems, you scale the effort that takes, that would be required for the AI audit proportionally to the risk. So if it's a system that is very high risk and you think there's a high potential that at some point this model may come under formal scrutiny from regulators or other sorts of oversight, at this point, you may want to bring in independent external auditors because that kind of certification that an independent auditor will give you now may be helpful when you are subject to future oversight. Regardless though, I think usually AI audits will involve a multidisciplinary team. You will have lawyers and you'll have data scientists, whether that's internal or external. I think that makes it very important to be able to understand the legal risks and also be to understand and also implement the technical measures required in an audit. And I think the importance of having lawyers involved is sometimes understated. Lawyers, it's very, it's a good idea to have lawyers involved, especially in-house lawyers, especially because of privilege. You want to have, companies usually want to have the confidence to fully investigate the potential risks that their AI systems may have and be able to dive deep into it without having that, the fear that whatever they may find right now, because they're being proactive, can be, let's say, exposed down the road in litigation. Obviously, privilege is not black and white. But having in-house counsel and potentially external counsel has that benefit of maximizing privilege. And I would also go back to the first point you made about AI audits being very expensive. And I think it's fair that a lot of companies, many clients will usually look at AI audits as a cost. But there are also certain clients who look at it as a form of investment because legal compliance is not the only reason to do an AI audit. Um, oftentimes we have clients who may be wanting to use an AI audit to build trust with their customers or their clients to show that they're going above and beyond their competitors and proactively understanding the AI risks and minimizing bias. This becomes almost a marketing tool at that point. So that's something important to keep in mind when you're starting the AI audit. What is the purpose? Is this for legal compliance or is this at the end to have some sort of marketing document to under explain why you are better than your competitors? Uh, we also see increasingly in certain industries, 
companies are becoming more strict about how they procure AI systems. So if you are a vendor of AI systems, you may have to do an AI audit at some point to be able to answer the questions that companies are going to ask you during that procurement process. And then finally, you may also just want to prepare for eventual external oversight. You may have heard of the FTC investigation in OpenAI. You've looked at their CID, their investigative document. There's, their questions are substantial and you don't have a lot of time to prepare the answers you need. And being able to do some sort of AI audit, even if it's a smaller scale, when you're not under pressure, helps you be prepared as an organization to be able to answer these questions if you're ever subjected to external oversight. Compliance as a strategy is definitely a thing. I, I, I partnered with many business professionals uh, to help them get there. And especially uh, if you are anticipating oversight, already have oversight, or you, uh, for various other reasons, that does sometimes give you a significant competitive advantage. I'm, I'm curious, a quick question about procuring. If you are procuring a, an AI technology, it sounds like you do recommend an AI audit being done. Do you have thoughts and best practices about what, what do you require contractually of your vendor to make sure that they are living to some sort of decent to amazing level of AI audit obligation? So if, if you are a company that uses AI systems um, that you're purchasing from external uh, vendors, uh, you want to be very skeptical. You want to be very thorough in your due diligence, because especially in regulated sectors like employment, for instance, pretty much every AI system that's being designed and sold for HR purposes right now is marketed as uh, very fair, inclusive, uh, minimal bias. You want to make sure that you can distinguish the companies that actually mean it, that are go taking the measures to do that instead of just the marketing flow. So a good point, to, a good place to start is asking a lot of questions, asking questions like, okay, so how do you measure risks within your own organization? Like when's the last time you did an audit for your model? Do you continuously test your model? Do you have metrics that I can look at? Have you tested against some aggregate data against all your clients and looked at how is your model faring? Will you provide the support training and post, let's say, purchase services required to make sure that I'm using the AI system correctly within my organization, it's configured. And also one thing to keep in mind, models can change over time. So a model that starts out very fair, starts out very accurate, can for a number of reasons devolve and degrade. So you wanna also know if a company will support you afterwards in terms of maintenance and continuously fine tuning the model to make sure that it works well for you. I love it. Those are great, those are great tips. But coming to the end, I have a few more questions. I, a question about generative AI, which is somewhat of a special form of AI. Can you audit it? What would you focus? How is it different from say extractive AI audit? Any thoughts, tips, and tricks for that? Absolutely. AI audits aren't only for traditional AI systems. I've repeatedly said AI testing is not a new thing. And similarly, AI audits are relatively more common for traditional AI systems. And by that, systems that make, let's say, predictions, numeric or late categorical, good or bad, or make classifications based on inputs. But you can also audit more complicated models like large language models. Um, in fact, this is public knowledge if anyone's curious. You can look up an audit that uh, my firm, BNH, did with an organization called Intutel, where we audited 
Facebook's open source long, large language model called Roberta. At a high level, it just takes a lot of a lot more creativity and elbow grease to be able to adapt the steps of identifying risk and designing tests when working with these kinds of models. One common approach, let's say for chatbots, is prompt engineering. So these kinds of models usually have multiple filters, controls in place to prevent the chatbot or whatever generative AI model it could be from producing offensive, harmful, or biased content. And one of the techniques you do is by prompt engineering, which is carefully designed prompts uh, by understanding kind of the failure modes, the edge cases in these filters and controls to be able to force the system to produce this offensive content. And if you repeat this systematically and you combine it with other methods like counterfactual analysis, there's public training data set, testing data sets for generative models, you can actually audit generative AI models more systematically, just like you would audit a traditional AI system. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about challenges. So you decided to embark on the AI audit and you decided to, to do it internally or externally and you tailor it to your industry and your needs and your customers and your prospects of oversight. What challenges should you anticipate? Uh, what are the sort of common challenges? What are exotic challenges uh, that may happen along the way? I, I think there's certain common themes and challenges that comes up when you're doing an AI audit. And this was something I definitely noticed when helping companies with the uh, New York City local law 144 bias audits because there was a hard deadline and everything needed to go fast and in sync. One is communication and coordination issues. Because of the inherent nature of AI audits, it requires people from multiple teams. You need a multidisciplinary team. You need the technical team working in sync with the legal team. You need external resources working with, let's say, the vendor. There's a chance that the vendor may need to be involved in the AI audit because they may have more detailed information about how the model works. Or in some cases, you may have the data you need for testing in different places. You may have some of the data in the vendor system and the rest of the data within your internal database. And you will need technical teams from both organizations working together to be able to build that testing data set before you can even start the audit. So that requires a lot of coordination. And if that's a challenge if that if it's not properly managed, that AI audit can drag on and not be really efficient. Similarly, we also see internal tensions between technical teams and legal teams, for instance. It's not uncommon for, let's say if you're in-house counsel, you see this presentation, you wanna go in and start asking questions about responsible AI. Sometimes technical teams may feel that you are encroaching within their territory. You're asking questions. That's really their job. And sometimes may even be offended because they may think that you're calling their system as not good. That's not how it should be in an effective AI audit. AI audit should be positive for all parties involved. It's really an additional layer on top of the existing testing validation that technical teams are doing. And technical teams are a very important part of an AI audit. Um, another common issue is data issues. It's very common that once you start doing an AI audit, you'll realize that either you don't have sufficient data to do the AI audit, or more commonly, you have a lot of data, but you also a lot of the data within those rows, so let's say many columns, have missing data. Uh, that is a big issue, and there are certain ways you could mitigate that. For instance, if you're missing racial information, there are ways you could infer that data 
using um, established practices like BISG, which is used a lot in consumer finance to be able to, with, within a certain margin of error, predict what racial uh, information is missing. And finally, I would say there are some security and privacy issues that you may run into. So let's say if you're bringing external counsel or external auditors, you may have a lot of infrasecurity um, policies that make it harder to prepare that data set and hand it off to an external asset to be able to run the bias testing. But there are usually ways to manage this by either bringing them within the organization so the data doesn't leave or establishing some sort of contractual arrangement. Let's talk about trends and i think we probably need to be wrapping up because it's been a long a very useful conversation but i do want to talk about new york 144 is definitely a beginning of the era see being active in the joint statement is also the beginning of that era so i'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball and tell me where do you think we're going what should we be prepared for and say you are in house council what do you do? How do you prepare for the unavoidable, more oversight, more guidance, and frankly, applying existing laws to AI? We've, we've already talked about how you may expect regulators and federal agencies to take a more aggressive approach. But in addition to that, I think it's very likely that more laws are coming that will specifically target AI systems. So obviously New York City is a concrete example of what's already happened, but there are laws similar to New York City, especially in employment that have been already proposed in New Jersey, California, and the state of New York. In DC, for instance, there is a law that's been proposed with a much broader scope than employment. It will also include models in areas such as credit, education, housing, and insurance. So be prepared for new laws to come. And especially if you are in-house counsel at an organization where you're operating in an area that traditionally tends to be more regulated or more sensitive, like you're providing legal services, you're providing healthcare services, consumer finance, housing, employment, everything I mentioned, that there's a good chance that the new laws that come, they will tend to first regulate those sectors before every other sector. We can also expect that there were some federal attempts to regulate AI. There was the ADPPA, the AAA, they weren't passed. And in kind of the absence of the federal momentum to regulate AI, we can expect to see more state and local laws like New York City, Local Law 144. And finally, if you are, again, if you're not in a regulated sector, if you're not in a sensitive area, be sure that you are prepared or potential oversight by a regulator if the FTC comes knocking and asks you about how you're developing AI models or you're selling it, how you're marketing it, at least have some internal documentation, at least have some internal documentation of which AI systems you're using, how they work, what data they operate on, so that you're not starting from scratch when a new law or some regulatory oversight does happen. Jay, thank you so much. This was an insightful conversation. I've learned a lot about audits, AI audits. I'm sure the audience has as well. I would like to make sure that if folks got nothing else from this very detailed, deep dive, what is the one thing you want folks to get out from this conversation? I think one point would be proactive about the responsible use of AI in your organization. And especially if you are in-house counsel, then you have a central role in this process in understanding how AI is used within your organization and how its risks can be managed. 
And a very great starting point to in that process is an AI audit, but it's not the end of your responsible use of AI within your organization. I love it. And thank you so much for joining. This was so much fun and uh, very informative. I really appreciate it. See you next time. And that brings us to the end of another thrilling episode on the Notes to My Legal Self AI Insights. We had a fantastic time exploring the fascinating intersection of law and AI with you. But hold on tight because the adventure doesn't stop here. Stay connected with us on social media to continue the conversation, share your thoughts, and be part of our incredible community of legal enthusiasts. Together, we can inspire, learn, and make a real impact on the world of law and AI. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to share it with your friends, colleagues, and anyone else who could benefit from the exciting insights we discussed. Let's spread the knowledge and enthusiasm far and wide.